Well, the one mistake that I made as a parent was letting my oldest son watch the uh, Ghostbusters movie. He was scared out of his pajamas after that. Being too focused on wanting their behavior to be good and not realizing they needed to just be kids. There was a time when my daughter was younger where she was acting up, so I said, well, if you don't smarten up, I'm going to take you to the police department. She didn't smarten up, and so I thought, now what do I do? Well, I'm sure you can relate to that. I know I can as a father of uh, two teenagers, and uh, there are no perfect parents. I say that so often here at Focus on the Family. And today we're going to be honest about some of the common mistakes we make as parents. I'm Jim Daly. Here in the studio with me is John Fuller. And uh, John, do you want to confess about any of those mistakes you've made as a parent? No, I really don't. <laughs> you see, we kind of swapped roles Not at all here. here. <laughs> no, I think every parent has stories. You know, you, you go to bed thinking, I really blew that. And I think probably my <laughs> earliest memory, one of my earliest memories would be when my oldest was four. And I, I, I remember I was, I, I think I was yelling at him, but I had this raised voice and I said, how many times do I have to tell you? And he's just four. He's looking <laughs> at me like, what? And I had this expectation that he should yeah, get it because yeah. I told him. Yeah, uh, we it was, had it was that, a wrong expectation. We had that problem too. Trent had a little uh, texture sensitivity issue, but I didn't know it. Gene didn't know it. He's probably three or four. He would go bananas wa- washing his hair in the tub. And I just got so frustrated with it. I said, come on, I need to clean your hair. Why, Daddy? Why, Daddy? And then by about five, I was thinking he didn't enjoy brushing. I thought these were just normal kids' things, you know? Didn't like lotion, didn't like touching his so teeth. So with sensory issues. He did. I, we finally got it diagnosed. And, oh, I felt so guilty. Yeah. All those battles I had. And uh, that is tough stuff. But you got to be that engaged parent to mm-hmm. see those cues and know what your child is going through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's part of the big journey. The good news is we can take comfort in the fact that we've all failed our kids at times. That is normal. And uh, sometimes we can fail them in ways that we don't even see. And what we want to talk about today are the biggies, Mm. those things that we need to avoid in order to be better at parenting. Uh, There's no formula, and I want to say that again. Uh, We talk about it quite often. In the Christian community, we can tend to think it's formulaic. And you know what? You can do everything well as a parent and still have a prodigal child. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into that today as well. Well, we have Dr. Tim Elmore with us, and uh, he's the president and founder of Growing Leaders, which is an organization that works in high schools and colleges, churches, and even with some major athletic organizations to equip and uh, to train and mentor future leaders. And He does a lot of writing and speaking, and uh, we have a book that we're going to be exploring today along these lines. It's called 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid Leading Your Kids to Succeed in Life. And Jim, I think I've made all 12 of those mistakes at least one or two times. You're such an honest guy. I was fast enough to about three of them. (laughs) Well, then you should take the lead, I think. (laughs) Yeah, great. Tim, let me uh, welcome you back to Focus on the Family. Thank you. It is so good to be with you guys and laugh together, too. This is such a hot topic, especially for us who are still in the throes of parenting. Mm -hmm. You don't really end, and I know some listeners probably have 20-something, 30-something children, and when I talk to them, uh, the good news, I guess, 
is you don't stop your parenting when they turn 18 and leave the house. So everybody's impacted by this, and we'll talk about that spectrum today and those mistakes not to make, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, For the sake of disclosure, though, Tim, i got to start with the obvious question. (laughs) Of the 12 that you highlight in your book, the 12 huge mistakes parents can avoid, uh, where did you fall short? Well, in the very first chapter, the mistake number one, I talk about how we don't want to let our kids fail yeah. because it's often a reflection on well, we're bad parents if they're failing, either in school or Little League. Hmm. And I tell the story of Jonathan, my son, who I wanted so desperately to be good at baseball because I'm a baseball <laughs> nut, you know? Yeah. Well, he is, he's a mathlete, not an athlete. You know, he's, a mathlete? Yeah. He's I like just that. better in school and thinking and so forth. But I mean, I made it almost impossible for him to fail. And then, of course, I helped coach the Little League team. And, you know, he's staring at Dandy Lions and looking at his <laughs> mitt, you know, and I'm thinking. Uh, was that five years old? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Five <laughs> or six. But, you know, we laugh at that. But um, it was a well-intentioned mistake. All these mistakes, guys, I think I list in this book, it's because we're trying so hard. Yeah. Um, I think people listening right now, they're listening because they want to do it right. But sometimes we overfunction as parents. And the removal of failure, as you well know, completely diminishes the value of success and and working for something. We have a whole new generation of parents. And I think in many cases, certainly not all, it's a pendulum swinging back and forth. We're reacting to perhaps we didn't do enough in the 60s and 70s, those boomers when they came through. And now we're we're so overfunctioning, filling out forms or Mm -hmm. running the backpack down to the school because they forgot it, rather than saying, you know what? probably would be good for them to have a hard day and never forget that backpack again because I didn't rescue. So um, I'm saying all this because I love kids, not because I'm mad at them. I'm actually saying, parents, let's think about long term. The further out we can see, the better the decision we make today. Tim, Mm -hmm. one of the one of the areas that I've noticed, you know, we're in a charter school and people are kindly competitive. Yeah. And I remember the first science project that at the time, Trent, I don't know, fourth grade, fifth grade. I can't remember when he went through that. He's in the big ninth grade now. Uh, But looking back on that experience, I remember talking to Gene. I said, Gene, the one thing we've got to try not to do is to do the project, you know, to actually hands-on do it. And I remember they had a great evening for the parents to come and look at all the science projects, and they had the judging and all that. And you could clearly see whose dad and whose mom (laughs) had gotten involved. Yeah, this was a rocket ship (laughs) that was built, and it was built from scratch from some actual astronaut that went to the Air Force Academy. But you're just going, wow, yeah. okay. And ours looked, you know, ours meaning Trent's yeah. was not that sophisticated. Yeah. He did a great job yeah. for his age. But I just said, let's not jump into that. Yeah. And yeah. talk about that aspect of it. I mean, there's other things that I'll jump into. I don't sure. want to paint a picture of perfection. I love the case study you just brought up. And, and here's why. It's an illustration of what I just said. The further out you can see, the better the decision you make today. That was a great resolution or solution for today. The kid probably got an A++++. Dad did well, but did the did the child really get in? You know, you learned what he needed to learn. So story after story, I cite them in the book. You hear about parents that um, are sitting in Starbucks doing homework for their kids. This happens all the time. Wow. Yeah. Or uh, there have been to record that I know two Easter egg hunts in past Aprils, where the parents well they canceled the Easter egg hunt because the parents were knocking over children getting eggs for their own kids. <laughs> now I'm thinking, what in the world has happened? Well, I'll tell you what's happened. We want so much to help our kids get that advantage or that you know that break, and I'm thinking, but they're not learning. Yeah, they're getting the breaks, and then they expect a break from their boss at 25, and he's not clapping for them when they go into work 
you know, on time, and there's no trophy waiting for them. You know what I'm saying. Is there any balance here, though, Tim? I, I knew a dad who his daughter was in high school, and she could not write a paper to yeah. save her life. Yeah. And and you can't wiggle out of that. Mm-hmm. It's not like change schools or yes. something like that. So he was really doing a lot of the work mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. Uh, is there a place for some compensation or some assistance? What does that look like? Absolutely. I think we definitely need to step in. In fact, I think we're a bad parent if we just say, hey, figure that out. I think what we need to keep in mind is that long-term thinking again. If I look outward and I don't help, that's not going to look good either. You know what I'm saying? She may never learn to do this. So maybe I either um, help a bit and say, why don't you take your first stab at it, bounce it off of me, and and then I'll give you my – you know, so it's a volley. Or maybe I do get a tutor who knows this, and I say, just before you begin, just know, don't do it for her. You know, this is what you need to do. So it's help, and they don't feel like an orphan. But at the same time, I'm not doing it for them, and now they're completely skillless when they need to have that skill. Well, and I, I've observed that with Jean. Thankfully, she's the math whiz in our family. Biochemistry was yeah. her background. Yeah. And so she can help Trent and Troy really set the problems up. And it takes some time. I've noticed that as she's doing it. And uh, yeah. she will uh, articulate the problem. Well, what if you think about it this way? Yeah. Or if you use the if-then formula, does yeah. that work? Yeah. That takes a lot of patience Yeah, because it it's so much easier to just do it. But you've got to let them stretch. And I, I give Jean great kudos because mm-hmm. she is really patient with the kids when it comes to math. And yeah. But but in that context, that can be, you do need to assist, yeah. but don't do it for them. Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the mistakes I talk about in the book. We do it for them. And I understand as a father why we might do that. But um, again, I go back to um, we've been far much better, I think, at preparing the path for the child instead of the child for the path. Right. And if I'm thinking trainer, 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 I'm a, I'm a lover, but I'm also a trainer. Now I'm, I'm not making some of the mistakes that I would unwittingly make because I lack patience or time. I'm thinking, no, this may not look perfect today, but boy, they're learning to make the bed or they're learning to put the toys away or whatever. I think that's what we got to do. Tim, let me ask you this, because again, I've said it, but in the Christian community, we can be really uh, tough on our expectations of our children. Yeah. Uh, we want to strive for perfection. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of our DNA. You know, yeah. as we become Christians, we want to yeah. act the right way, behave the right way, and then expect our children to mm-hmm. do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be tough on yeah. the kids. And I think a lot of the brokenness that we see in Christian homes today is due to that high, high, high bar no that doubt is about it. set. Yet at the same time, uh, you hear uh, experts talk about the fact that people, children, learn through failure. Yeah. And yeah. so it's kind of this dichotomy. We are we are parenting yeah. for the success of the child in the moment. We want yeah. them to be exactly. successful yeah. in elementary school, mm-hmm. successful in high school, yeah. and we haven't prepared them to be successful in life. No. Talk about that. Well, I do argue that very point. I... At one point in the book, I actually can't remember which chapter, but I talk about parents need to have a tender balance of being responsive and demanding. And if you put them together, it's a wonderful, it's a velvet-covered brick. It's Jesus. You know, he says, where are your condemners? Go and sin no more. There's the velvet, there's the brick. There's the responsive and the demanding. So we can be perfectionists. We can put our kids in a performance trap unwittingly. But I think what we need to do is... Um, absolutely convince them, you, I've got your back. I love you. I care about you. I understand you. And then at the same time, here are standards that we know you're capable of. I wouldn't call you to something you weren't capable of. But if you are, I'm not going to let you have a mediocre 
performance when I know you can do better. Those ba- that balance is huge. And that's really important. And I think we get blinders on as parents yeah, where we, we fall into a rut on either side of that. And we get comfortable in that mm-hmm. demanding side or yeah, the forgiving yes. side. And we don't reconsider what are we doing. In fact, you say in the book that uh, parents give themselves A's. But the parents of their children's friend, well, they give them a D. Yeah, Why do them. we look at it like that? Well, uh, my thought is we tend to judge ourselves with our heart and others with their he- with our head. You know, like we, <laughs> if they need to get that kid whipped into shape. Not thinking about the hard day they might have had or we have no idea that they may have just lost a grandmother. or You know, something happened. But we know what happened in our life. So we're going, they have no idea what I went through today. It's, that's lucky I'm, you know, we got to Friday and nobody got hurt, you know. So I think that's what happens. So we need to um, obviously give grace to others. Maybe what we need to do is flip-flop that. Judge yourselves with our head and others with our heart and to have a little more grace for maybe they had a hard day too. Uh, Tim, you also say in your book that about a third of parents admit they're not good role models at home. Mm. Um, that really got me to thinking mm. whether or not, and I think you put this challenge in your book, you might want to ask your kids about your grade. Yeah. That's called a 360-degree review <laughs> you know, job should, description. Yeah. It's, it's uh, true. That, I thought about that. I may do that. Any mm-hmm. help you can give me mm-hmm. in how I would approach that? If I went to my 14- and 12-year-old and said, I want you to give me a yeah. grade, A yeah. to F, yeah. how am I doing as your dad? Mm-hmm. How could I structure that in a way that's helpful for me and helpful for them so they can understand what I'm getting at? Well, it's a great question, and I think the first thing is most kids are afraid to actually be blunt right away, although your your boys may not, may not be afraid to be blunt. I, I think they've got the blunt. Um. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think what we need to say is they'll often go, well, what do you mean? And maybe you need maybe three or four specific areas. Like, like am I helping you get ready? for? A, do you feel like you're getting ready? I remember um, I did dates with my kids all through their growing up years. I try to do it on a weekly basis. And I would ask them, Jonathan, do you feel ready for the next step? Do you feel, well, Dad, I don't understand checkbooks. Okay, let's talk about that. And and he got to the place where he could tell me where he wasn't doing well. And I remember, guys, the first time I noticed they were getting good at being in front of screens, but they weren't too good with interpersonal skills and emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So we threw a party, uh, my wife and I, for our adult friends, and had our kids at 8 and 12 host the party. Now, they've rolled their eyes and thought, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. But you know what they get good at doing? Hi, Mr. Johnson. Come on in. Have you met Mrs. Smith? Can I take your coat? Would you like some iced tea? And now they're both gamefully employed. You know, So I think those kinds of skill sets come when we realize where they're short and we can maybe do a be-, be a better trainer for Let them. Let me ask you in that area, because I think a lot of uh, parents who have teenagers, uh, 13, 14, mm-hmm. 15-year-olds, yeah. are worried about that because of the competition yeah. with the screens and social media. Mm-hmm. What are some additional things they can do beyond just hosting a party like that? A couple of thoughts. Um, And again, I don't think I'm brilliant at this. I'm still on the journey. But one thing we decided was to say whatever, however many hours you have in front of a screen, say a video game, you have that many hours face-to-face with real people, reading body language, building, you know, you you know what I mean, all the nonverbal stuff that's so important. Could you actually keep track of that? Well, it was in the honor system. And the kids were old enough. Our kids are now 20-something, so they were on the front end of some of this. But we, we said, Jonathan, how many hours? Well, I have two hours videos today. Well, okay. Well, I want you two hours not in front of the video now. Mm-hmm. They need to be good. Technology is not going away. Right. But I wanted them to have the soft skills and the emotional intelligence yeah. that they would need to look an employer in the eye, shake his hand and say, how you doing, sir? You know, I wanted mm-hmm. that to happen. Uh, John, going back to the grading, you've got older children. You've got kids in their 20s. If you went to them today and said, uh, give me a grade, first, would you do it? And secondly, 
Um, how would that conversation go with older children? Yeah, well, we haven't had that exact conversation, but uh, my two oldest have affirmed us as generally doing a pretty good job of parenting. They're in their 20s, mm-hmm. and uh, the second one in particular said, you know, you made it kind of um, hard for me to want to stay in the home when I hit about 20 years old. You mm-hmm. kind of yeah. pushed me out gently. And he said, thanks for doing that because mm-hmm. I've got friends who are mm-hmm. still kind of stuck at home and they're, yeah. they're not sure exactly what they're doing. So it wasn't a huge, hey, I'd give you a, yeah. a grade of A, but it felt like, okay, there's some affirmation there. Yeah. They're recognizing good. the good stuff. And, yeah, Let's and I, I've maintained all along that they have forgotten most of our mistakes, it seems. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how right? God wor- works yeah, that out, yeah. but kids yeah. forget so many of these mistakes that we make. We're hoping yeah. for that. Yeah, that's absolutely. For sure. Amnesia to set in. Yeah, It's a wonderful right. gift. Tim, talk about that uh, in terms of the inability to launch. Those parents yeah. who, in essence, begin to over-parent at 18, 19. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had professors from universities here on the broadcast say that they're shocked that moms and dads, particularly moms, will Mm -hmm. call to talk over their academic performance of their kids. And they're saying, I can't. It's not even legal for me to talk to you about these things. Yeah, this kid's not a minor. Mm -hmm. But but we're acting as if college is now the new high school where parents still have a role there. That's not the way it works. I have lost count of the number of university deans that have said to me, 26 is the new 18. Yeah, and that's scary to me. Yeah. So, and it's not in cognitive ability, it's, it's an emotional maturity. And it's because we've often done so much. So can I give you a case study that we may want to bounce off each other? I um, got an email from the University of Syracuse. Um, it was a faculty member who teaches freshman students. She handed her first set of tests back to the kids, and one of the girls in the class got a C-. Well, she had never gotten a C- minus in her life up to that point. So she had a meltdown right there in class. That's your problem number one. If you're having a meltdown overseas, something's wrong. Meltdown... The first thing she thinks to do is reach in her backpack, pull out her cell phone, and, call, and text mom hmm. right there in class. Well, mom texts back and says, call me right away. So she calls mom right there in class. You know, class has to stop because, you know, she's got her phone call to make. And oh if that's not goodness. bad enough, she goes, okay, mom, hands the phone to the teacher and says she wants to talk to you. The middle of class. Yep. Now mom's going to negotiate a B minus out of that C minus. I wish I could tell you this was an isolated incident. It happens hundreds of thousands of times a year. Tim, mm-hmm. apply this to our spiritual journey because mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, academics is one level, but it's a yeah. very superficial level. Mm-hmm. When you start talking about the patterns that are being developed yeah. in the children in terms of their relationship yeah. with God, talk about the harm that yes. comes from being comfortable living in a space like that where somebody's always bailing you out. Yeah, it's it's scary to me. And I'm not overly alarmed, but... Here's what I think I've seen happen. And I, and I actually did a, a, another book about this called Artificial Maturity. I'm seeing kids growing up artificially mature. It looks real, but here's the deal. It's because they're overexposed to information far earlier than they're ready. I mean, their kid, preschool kids are on websites. Right. Underexposed to real-life experiences far later than they're ready. So this produces a cocky teen that thinks he knows it because he's watched 17 YouTube videos, but he's never really done it. Well, aren't we guilty of that in our spiritual life? Mm. We're, oh, we got scripture coming out of our ears, but have we done it? No, not so much. So Gnosko, the knowledge up here is great, mm-hmm. but the oida, the, the real experience, the knowledge that comes through experiencing and failing and the empathy you have for others because you did, it was harder than you thought, that's maturity. And that doesn't come from just information. Tim, mm-hmm. how does a parent that wants so much for their child, they want their child to do better, I hope. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would like. I'd Absolutely. love to see my boys do yeah. better than me to mm-hmm. 
live a life uh, that is glorifying to the Lord, all those good things. How does a parent that has been trying to control, and maybe Mm -hmm. at times, maybe not even realize the manipulation involved with that, but how does a parent first get a grip on that? And then what are practical steps to say, okay, I'm going to de-link this. I'm going to start to not control. That's hard because it's human behavior. It it is. And and I I think if we were all to get honest, most of us lean toward the control freak thing, with our children at least. Yeah, because the outcomes are more assured. (laughs) I mean, that's the bottom line. If I'm in charge, things are better. Yeah, (laughs) that's so true. Well, a couple of thoughts. One, I think we need to reckon the fact that control is a myth. I'm really not fully in control. I can influence my children, but isn't it true the older they get, the more they're listening to other voices and you're Mm -hmm. hoping that that's a good voice. But So I think we need to realize control's a myth. I can influence and I must influence, but I need to recognize I can't do that. So in the back of the book, I even argue, make connection, not control your aim. I want to connect at the heart level Mm. and have conversations all the time about sex, drugs, you name it. And if I connect... Ironically, I have a greater sense of influence because I'm they're willing to talk to me about anything and I can nudge them to, to go further in their growth. But uh, how does that look for a dad who's frustrated because mm-hmm. his high school daughter is not doing what she could be doing academically and she's being disrespectful yeah, in the yeah. home? What's something tangible he could take away tonight and, and do to try to build connection with her? Wow. Well, can I give you two answers? And, and I'll try to make these brief. One is I have found by adolescence, so let's even say 12 years old, the removal of the cell phone is a huge mm. incentivizer. Now, I know this sounds horrible and way too simplified, but um, sending our kids to the room, they go, fine, super, got my computer, my tablet, I'm, I'm great. Let me know when dinner's ready. <laughs> right. But if I took their phone away, mm-hmm. um, you know, the latest Pew Research tells us um, that college students today put technology in the same category as air and water. I have to have it. Wow. So that tells me something. Yeah. Now, first of all, you and I both go, that's ridiculous. But I think what we need to do is say, okay, if that's so big, maybe the removal of that for 12 hours or whatever, maybe you'll listen. But I think greater than that, by the time they reach adolescence, you gave me the scenario of a teenage girl, Mm -hmm. something we did that was actually probably the smartest parenting decision we made in our home was when our kids turned 13, we arranged for mentors to enter their life. Uh, When my daughter turned 13, we had six one-day mentors, women that she thought were really cool and that my wife admired as wonderful, godly female leaders. And she spent time with them. Mm. One, one was a nurse in the hospital. One took her downtown Atlanta. One, you know, and they just talk with them. Well, their voices were listened to. We knew they were going to be echoing the very values that we had, but it was a cool lady, a really cool lady. I'm telling you, I watched my little girl go from a thermometer to a thermostat that year with her friends. She, she began to set the temperature because kid, pe- ladies were speaking into her life and echoing, hmm. you know, you probably ought to do that, that your dad said. So um, not a foolproof answer, but boy, was it a, it was a game changer for us in our parenting. So get, get mentors that are not the parents, somebody exactly. that can reaffirm the values that you're trying to Yeah, maybe to, from the church or the yeah. neighborhood or whatever. But by the way, one more thought, they should be a part of the selection. Now, you have to be the filter because you don't want him to go out with, you know, Ozzy Osbourne or whatever. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but, but she picked ladies that we thought, oh, this is great. You know, Holly is wonderful. Sandra, uh, you know, uh, uh, these were just fantastic ladies. So I, I think that was a, 
Yeah, it was a helper. It mm-hmm. really was. Uh, Tim, man, this flew by. You could tell we're eager parents, huh, John? <laughs> yes. But uh, we have just started to talk about uh, mm-hmm. your book, The 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. I don't even know we've gotten to number one. I mean, mm-hmm. overparenting yeah. might have been mm-hmm. the one that we've talked about today. Let's come back next time and talk about those other attributes. In fact, the one for me is consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tend to be, and Jane would applaud me for confessing it, I'm the one that... Oh well, that's okay. Let's yeah, not yeah, yeah. let's not do that, um, and that yeah. makes it tough. So let's start next time with that problem of inconsistency. See if you can improve upon my parenting skills, <laughs> and uh, let's do it. Can you come back? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Dr. Tim Elmore has been our guest on today's Focus on the Family, and I hope you'll join us next time for. Uh, ways to avoid some of those well-meaning things that we naturally do as parents that unfortunately cause a little more harm than good for our children. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. As parents, I think we need to let this message sink in and recognize the mistakes that we can make in our parenting. Because if we are serious about parenting for our child's success, then we will avoid some of these dangers. As Jim Daly alluded to, we want to strive for perfection, but it's true that people and children learn through failure. As a mom, I have felt that urge to rescue my child and step in so they can avoid the hurt. But in certain circumstances, the so-called rescuing is only hindering my child in the long run. If you feel the need to listen to this program again, you can find it as a podcast on our Focus Africa app or at our website, safamily.co.za. While you're on the website, you'll see our recommended resource for today is a book by Kevin Lehman called Have a New Kid by Friday. And also while you're online, please take a moment to have a look at all we have available under the Parenting tab. There are hundreds of articles, broadcasts, resources, video series, and even our parenting assessment, which I really do encourage you to take. That is all at safamily.co.za. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope that you can join us tomorrow for the conclusion of our program on avoiding parenting mistakes. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.